Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 12th, 2019, including Gears 5 is now out officially. The Super Smash Bros. creator is telling audiences to go play Xbox. Ubisoft is making obnoxiously large games only from now on, and more. But first, a message from our sponsors. Did you know that one in every four gamers suffers from erectile dysfunction? Happy Gears 5 week, everyone. We finally made it. The first big Xbox release since the podcast began. Like how I found a way to make that all about me somehow. But yeah, seriously, if you're uh, listening to this this week, hopefully you are out there playing Gears 5. If not, I don't know why the hell you're listening to a show about uh, Xbox, but you're not playing one of the biggest Xbox games to come out in years. So, um, you know, it <laughs> seems like this generation, we don't get a lot of Xbox exclusive exclusives. So be sure to really savor and enjoy this one. It's, uh, I can tell you as I haven't beaten the game quite yet, but I'm, I've played a lot of it and I can tell you it's a very special game. So definitely enjoy it while you have it because, you know, until next generation really kicks off into full swing, this is one of the last few games we're going to have. Um, so just, yeah, it's in, enjoy this awesome time to um, to be on Xbox, to be playing games right now. In other news, before we get into this week's show, I want to just send a final reminder about reviewing the show on on iTunes. I know I've been asking a lot almost every week. Uh, please, if you like the show, leave a nice review on iTunes. Five stars only. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, whatnot. I even went as far as to verbally abuse some of you and, and to try and pin the blame on you. And it just seems like no matter what I do, it doesn't really work or uh, result in more positive reviews on the show. So I'm just going to stop asking uh, and begging for you to review the show every week. You know, if it's a silent contest you want, Two can play at that game, so. All right, on to this week's news. This first story is actually, I guess it came out technically last week, but uh, for whatever reason I didn't cover it, but it's actually kind of one you don't want to skip over, um, and that is that the Super Smash Brothers creator, Mashiro uh, Sakurai, has basically told people to go play Banjo-Kazooie on Xbox. During last week's Nintendo Direct, Sakurai was detailing the new uh, DLC character, Banjo-Kazooie, uh, for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate on Nintendo Switch. Um, when he started uh, saying something kind of unusual, he began to explain the history of these popular characters and the relation to Nintendo as a platform. Sakurai mentioned that their current ownership is now with Microsoft, recommending players experience Banjo-Kazooie on Xbox to experience the games from which these classic characters helm from. During the Direct, he says, quote, As some of you may know, the Banjo-Kazooie IP now belong to Microsoft, technically their rival platform holder. Even so, they were happy for Banjo and Kazooie to join the Super Smash Bros. series. For that, I'm truly grateful. Rare also welcomed us with open arms. So if you want to play Banjo Kazooie today, you can do so on Xbox. I know this is a Nintendo broadcast, but please give this game a try on Xbox. And then um, you could hear like some snickering, kind of laughing in the background. It was very unusual for a Nintendo Direct, honestly. Uh, but it was also really interesting to hear, not so much from a perspective of, you know, Microsoft willing to play nice with Nintendo, because I think of any game 
company maybe in the history of gaming uh, it seems like xbox and you know microsoft seems to be the most outgoing to play friendly with the competition um but uh, while sony is obviously the most stingy about it and, and rightfully so as they are on top these days y- you really wouldn't expect a kind of old school japanese conservative company like nintendo to kind of come out and be as friendly as they were on this direct you know it's one thing for nintendo to allow for like cuphead or something like that to be on nintendo switch uh, it's a whole nother thing for them to acknowledge their competitor platform on their on their nintendo direct which is just so in absurdly rare and uncommon and unheard of for nintendo that it really in my opinion speaks to the kind of relationship that Microsoft and Nintendo have built together over these recent years, especially, uh, you know, stemming from this kind of like, let's uh, promote cross-platform, cross-play via, you know, Minecraft and Fortnite and games like that, and now moving into like having Ori and the Blind Forest on Switch and things of that nature. So not only is this just a really cool example of how Microsoft and Nintendo are playing well together, but this is also a perfect example of, you know, just... The classic saying that high tide raises all boats. You know, information like this comes out, and while it's not earth-shattering news, what makes it so exciting is is honestly the way audiences and fans react. You know, the story isn't even so much anymore that Banjo-Kazooie are on Super Smash Bros. It's more about Sakurai going on Nintendo Direct and telling people to go play an Xbox to experience Banjo-Kazooie. It's just so fun to kind of see these companies who we always picture in our heads as like big enemies of each other and big rivals of each other kind of coming together and playing nice. And, you know, even if this is a little bit of some like PR kind of camaraderie to help strengthen both these brands at a time while both Nintendo and Xbox are, are, you know, playing second fiddle to PlayStation. um, It's just so cool to see them kind of play together and acknowledge one another's existence, especially in something as official as, as, you know, Nintendo's own platform for announcing and promoting their, their games and their, their products. So it's just really crazy situation, but hopefully this speaks to Nintendo and Microsoft's continued strong relationship. And this is something we see go well into next generation. Um, and the reason why I mentioned that so much or, or I emphasize that is because I think next generation is so key to see how Nintendo and Microsoft's relationship unfolds as I think next generation, you know, and may, maybe there's a little bit of, of bias to this as an Xbox fan. I think next generation Xbox is going to be way more of a big player and big contender in the games industry than they are currently. I think they're going to be like, like I've said in the past, if not as big as they were in the 360 days, they're at least going to be significantly more threatening and more of a serious contender than they have been this past, this current generation, the Xbox One. So, you know, if Nintendo and Microsoft can keep that friendly relationship going, even in a time where I think Microsoft's going to be a lot more strong and formidable as an opponent or as a competitor, um, then I think that's really going to spell some some awesome, you know, surprises and kind of net some benefits for us as consumers, uh, seeing, you know, these two brands kind of play nice with each other. The other thing that makes this really special, you know, especially for, for Xbox's benefit, is this gets a very, very Japanese company, in fact, the most highly regarded Japanese game company in history, to speak well of the most American video game company of all time that has notoriously struggled so much in, in Asian markets, particularly Japan. Um, so it, you know, Xbox, um, after this Nintendo direct happened, Xbox, the 
was a trending hashtag in, in Japan. So in, this is so notable because, I mean, everyone knows, you know, kind of the ex, the notorious history of Xbox kind of being the butt of the joke in the gaming sphere when it comes to J- the Japanese market, um, where people just don't buy Xbox. They don't play Xbox, you know, especially here in the United States, uh, which I can speak to, you know, there's very much a three a three competitor kind of mentality of, of PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo. Uh, but, you know, in Japan, that really doesn't exist. Um, it's really just Nintendo and Sony. I mean, of course, there's still PC gaming and mobile gaming, which is massive over there. But when it comes to console gaming, it's really just Nintendo and Sony. So this is a huge get for Microsoft to kind of kind of plant the seeds and the goodwill in the minds of the Japanese audience, because I, I assume Xbox wants to grow that brand as far as they can. And Japan would be a huge get for them, especially uh, being a country where, you know, the history of gaming is so closely tied and intertwined with and and you know it's just such a it's such an important market to have a hold of if you're a video game company so um that's just a really interesting story and i'm it makes me just really excited to see how this relationship between microsoft and nintendo continues to evolve and shape out all right our next story uh comes from windows central and this is about you know if you were playing Gears 5 on September 6th, uh, when it came out on Friday, you may have experienced some of this, but from roughly 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. on Friday, uh, Xbox Live went down for many players, making it difficult for many to experience Gears 5 on the first day of its early access release. The reason for the outage has still yet to be confirmed, but speculation could lead one to believe that it may have had something to do with the mass influx of players attempting to hop onto Gears 5. Although Gears 5 is likely far from the biggest release the platform has ever seen, so who knows? Now, if you want to say that this is in some way related to Gears 5, then sure, you can say, well, Gears 5 is a Game Pass game, so, you know, so many people were able to just jump onto this game as soon as it released because, you know, for the first time, a massive AAA first-party game came out and audiences didn't have to go and buy it for $60 to play it, so potentially this game could have the most players jumping on at once that Xbox has ever seen. Although I still find that hard to believe. I, I would assume, you know, games like a call of like a new call of duty or, or Madden or some shit like that would be the game to break the Xbox. If, if that were the case, um, I don't know what it could have been. Maybe there was some hacking involved. Who knows? But, uh, you know, Xbox doesn't experience a lot of outages and it's been a long time since they've had a serious outage. This is one of the biggest outages Xbox has experienced. Xbox live has experienced in recent years. So, so for that alone, it's just notable, but it really was an unfortunate situation for fans and players who, you know, were trying to hop onto Gears 5 and really get in on that day one access and, and were kind of shut out for a couple hours there because the system was down. Now, I don't know, you know, without Microsoft really explaining what happened and what they did to fix it, it's hard to speculate on, you know, what's going on here, but let's, I mean... Xbox Live is a Microsoft service. Microsoft is a software company. They the one of the things that makes Xbox so successful is because it's backed by, you know, a company I would argue knows software better than any company on the planet. And so it's just weird to see, you know, Xbox Live, a, a service that's so robust, so fully fleshed out, so secure, um, experience such a kind of a kind of hiccup that you wouldn't really expect from a platform or a service like this. So you know, this is more just to mention that it happened than anything. But it's it'll be interesting to see you know how these kinds of things play out as Game Pass just inevitably continues to evolve and grow and 
the player count gets bigger and bigger and game launches become bigger and bigger as a result of more people having access to them via, you know, game pass releases versus the kind of slower, more steady rollout of games, which is people having to have $60 to plop down on a game in order to jump in on day one. So if this is in some way related to game pass and the kind of influx of players coming onto a day one release, it'll be interesting to see, or maybe not so much interesting, but this will be, you know, a, a reason for Xbox to really have to go back and and beef up their infrastructure to make sure problems like this don't don't you know arise again next time a big release comes out. Like hopefully you know when Halo Infinite comes out, you know this isn't something we're experiencing as a result of everyone in the world trying to jump on Xbox you know to go play Halo. You know, so who knows? But that certainly happened. And uh, if you were experiencing Xbox Live outages at that time, sucks for you because I was on live at that time and I did not experience a single problem. So suck it. All right, our next story is that is continuing with the Gears 5 news, which is that Gears 5 players have been experiencing a multitude of issues with the game since its early access launch on September 6th, many of which stem from server issues. That said, players are still experiencing bugs even on plain old single-player campaign. While the team at the Coalition is working fast to ameliorate the problems, the damages have already been done. In an effort to rectify the situation and compensate players, the Coalition has announced some in-game goods being rewarded to players who've endured these bugs and issues. Quote, As a token of our appreciation for your patience and support during the weekend's early access, we're awarding five days of boost, faster progression, and 600 scrap craft and skill supply cards, so look out for that in the next 48 hours. Thank you so much for playing Gears 5. And that quote was tweeted out by the official Gears 5 or the Coalition uh, Twitter account, rather, which just shows, you know, what this makes me wonder is if Microsoft, you know, we this isn't the first time we've seen Microsoft do the here's an official launch date, but four or five days early, uh, you get to play the game via Game Pass. So kind of using Game Pass as an unofficial official launch date and then kind of having an official launch date be a week later when a team can, you know, kind of work out day one bugs, server-side issues, throw out a patch, whatever needs to be done. Um, so I, I almost see this, you know, more so than, you know, oh, good on the coalition for rewarding players who had to put up with some unfortunate bugs and, and server issues. I see this more as like, do you think Microsoft potentially sees these early access Game Pass launches as a way to kind of divert the public attention from any bugs or server issues that might exist in a game uh, upon release? Meaning that, you know, does Xbox see it as if a game comes out a week early on on Game Pass and has some issues and bugs, but the studio can rectify that in, in four to six days before the, the game officially launches, um, can Microsoft kind of spin that to say, hey, look, the game launched smoothly and perfectly because it only had issues while it was in early access, you know, via Game Pass. I wonder if that's kind of one of the benefits Microsoft looks at when when considering early access launches versus, you know, the proper like day and date launch. This is the day it's officially out, the day the Wikipedia page acknowledges its existence, you know, things like that. So I'll be interested to see, you know, if you think if you have any thoughts or ideas on that in particular, uh, just because I don't really know what to think of, you know, Microsoft trending more and more into this kind of play early with Game Pass. Obviously, it's an incentive to get people to subscribe to the service that Microsoft is really pushing, but also, I think it's a PR opportunity for them to spin kind of negative situations uh, and play it off as, you know, a successful launch despite some kind of early bugs and server problems. So, yeah, let me know if you have any thoughts on that because I just think that's I, that kind of came to my mind when, when contemplating on the story, and I just feel like that might be uh, maybe a kind of unintended benefit to Microsoft or kind of uh, a way they see that they can capitalize on on an issue and 
and kind of PR spin it into something more positive. The next story, uh, keeping up with even more Gears 5, I believe this is the last of our Gears 5 story, uh, news, rather. It appears that Gears 5 is not part two of a trilogy, but rather an additional entry in an ongoing saga. In an interview with VentureBeat, Rod Ferguson said, we're trying to get out of the trilogy mindset. The words I like now is, the word I like now is saga. Just the idea that we don't want to limit ourselves to a beginning, middle, and end, uh, or of a one or two, three kind of thing, Oh, as in like, uh, this is the Empire Strikes Back game of this series. That kind of thing for us, it, it's just about where the story can take us and what stories we can tell. This is just a continuation of a saga. And, you know, I, I this is an interesting one because I could have sworn at one point they were like kind of discussing gears four five and assumedly six as kind of a trilogy maybe more in like the gears four era but you know i haven't heard it kind of been referred to in that manner in a long time so it is interesting to see them kind of come out and say this again because if you'll remember 343 did a similar thing you know before gears or rather before halo 5 came out uh the 343 kind of was discussing the forerunner saga as like a trilogy as in halo's four, five, and six, but, you know, somewhere along the Halo 5 timeline, it turned into the Forerunner Saga, which is now just, like, this story that we're currently telling in Halo, so maybe it ends at Halo 7, maybe it ends at Halo 8, who fucking knows, but I, I mean, I respect from a creative standpoint this idea that the creatives shouldn't be shoehorned into making these perfect trilogies because humans are weird creatures of patterns and we have to think of things in like sets of three and shit like that in order for us to be able to make sense of a story or to think of it in a a comprehensive way but I really like the idea of just letting it be open and loose and allowing the storytellers to say you know at this point in time maybe this is part two of three maybe it's part two of seven who knows Uh, but you know when when we feel like we've reached the point in our story where we can wrap things up or we've told what we have to, we, we've, we've said what we've had to say, then we can kind of wrap this up and, and we'll look at how long that saga is based on, you know, however many entries it took us to tell the story. And I think that leaves for a lot of creative freedom. It also doesn't confine them to do kind of a Halo 5 thing where it's you're trying to tell so much story in such a short period of time. Um, and I think just overall, it's better for everyone else. Like, why, why do you have to know that Gears five is is part two of a three-part trilogy of a three-game trilogy right why can't it just be like whatever the next gears of war game the point is right now we're telling kate's story we're going through you know this the the beats of of gears five and at the end of the day we'll see how it all plays out into the the grand scheme of things you know the final gears of war story assuming this franchise someday ends but for the time being, we need to kind of work ourselves out of these pa- patterns and mindset sets and um, just allow these games to be, you know, what they are and to tell the stories they do and to take the time they need to flush themselves out and take the, and, and tell what they need to tell, you know. Of course, conversely, there is always the potential hazard that, you know, the game goes on way too long because without the confining of, uh, of making it a trilogy or something like that, the higher-ups at maybe Microsoft or, or someone hypothetically push them to keep making entries in the game when the story's been kind of exhausted just for the sake of churning money out of the franchise. But let's, let's not think that pessimistically and just uh, assume that the Coalition has the creative freedom and control to tell the story 
how they want to tell it and in the timeline they want it they want to tell it so so that's that for gears 5 news let's uh kind of move on to some stories pertaining to other things in the xbox sphere all right so last week i actually didn't cover this on the podcast but capcom was teasing a new resident evil game and it looks like this week we have a little more insight as to what that is thanks to a new teaser trailer that dropped so the new resident evil game uh isn't like anything we've seen recently from the series uh, the game is called Resident Evil Project Resistance, and it was teased this week with a short trailer being dropped just before the game's proper reveal, which is coming up at the 2019 Tokyo Game Show in Japan. Judging by the events of the trailer, it appears that Project Resistance may be some kind of Left 4 Dead-style zombie shooter, or perhaps a 4v1 game uh, a la Evolve, where one player controls the enemy while the others attempt to defeat it or evade. Here's hoping that the answer is closer to the former and not the latter. We'll see gameplay footage for this game later at Tokyo Game Show, which begins, uh, well, this show is being recorded on, on a Wednesday, but it will go live on 12th, which is when Tokyo Game Show starts. So just uh, so just be on the lookout for that. So anytime between, you know, Thursday and this weekend, we should be getting a full gameplay reveal of this and, and kind of seeing for ourselves what this is. So I'm not really a big Resident Evil fan. I keep actually in recent history, you know, like Resident Evil 2 Remake and Resident Evil 7, these games kind of really intrigue me and have been drawing me more and more to really give this franchise a fair shake. I've never really tried to sit down and play Resident Evil, although I'm, I'm very certain at this point Resident Evil 7 is a, a very much a Jesse game, so I'm, I'm looking into uh, maybe rectifying that and, and giving that game a fair shake. But that being said, I love Left 4 Dead, so if this game is anything like a four-player co-op zombie horde shooter type game i am all about that and i'm really excited to see what this game is about so um you know not much to speculate on otherwise but i think it's interesting that capcom's been able to take the resident evil series and make it so versatile you know it was kind of its own it was kind of what it was for a while and then four kind of reinvented it and then a lot of fans got upset with five and six as they became more like Gears of War, third-person action shootery. Uh, despite them selling very, very well, a lot of fans of the series were very disappointed to see the the franchise take those th- that turn. And then we have these like remakes, and of course Resident Evil Seven, which were in some ways a reinvention of the series, but in some ways a return to form. And people seem very happy with those games. But you know, the announcement of a game like Resident Evil Project Resistance shows me that. This is one of those things where, like, Capcom is just using the Resident Evil brand to make all these types of zombie-esque, violent shooting games they want, you know? I like the idea of the property being versatile enough. It's kind of like Capcom doing with Resident Evil what I wish 343 would do with Halo, which is saying, you're going to get your mainline Resident Evil games, you know, your 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, etc., which are going to be, like, your kind of traditional zombie horror games but i like the idea that you can have these spin-offs and kind of reinvent the franchise in these different genres because there's a lot of there's a lot of play you can have with the idea of zombies and this kind of um infested kind of post-apocalyptic universe so or, or rather apocalyptic universe but a- anyway i just i don't know this is this is exciting because it takes it, it gives someone like me who's not traditionally a resident evil fan an opportunity to jump into the franchise and get familiar with the universe while not having to play what is traditionally considered a resident evil style game which i wouldn't really consider my cup of tea anyway um so it's just a great way to kind of grow the brand and grow the franchise uh, while also offering a new and kind of refreshed gameplay mode. Also, just as someone who really fucking wishes Valve would get off their asses and make a Left 4 Dead 3, um, I'm just always open for any 
any game that's even remotely like Left 4 Dead. So bring it on. All right, our next story comes from IGN, and it is that Ubisoft will not return to creating shorter games, according to the CEO, Yves Guillemont. So this is pulled directly from IGN, so I'll just read from that. It says, Ubisoft will continue to focus on huge open-world games that take many hours to play, but has the goal to provide smaller-scale adventures within large worlds, says company CEO. Talking to GamesIndustry.biz, Yves Guillemont said no to the question if the company would ever return to games of the scale of Assassin's Creed Unity, in which the main story can easily be finished in around 15 hours. That's a very brief trip compared to Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which takes an average of 60 hours of people's time. Gilmont says, quote, Our goal is to make sure you can have a unity within an Odyssey. If you want to have a story of 15 hours, you can have that, but you can also have other stories. You live in the world that, and you pursue what you want to pursue. You have an experience, many Unity-like experiences. Gilmont also points out that the 60-hour average playtime from Odyssey proves that, quote, players get a lot from their investment in a game, a lot more than they got before, end quote. The company's change its focus to long-term support also helps extend the life, with planned DLC schedules that span multiple story episodes, as well as microtransactions, boosters, and virtual currency. So I see this story as kind of a really interesting take on the modern AAA game sphere, which is, you know, more and more in recent years become make everything big, massive, endless content, open world light RPG elements, skill trees, boring ass shit, etc, 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 shove it down the player's throat, put it in every game, every game is a sandbox game, and you know, Ubisoft, you know, despite my love for Ubisoft, they're a very guilty um, publisher when it comes to this, um, so much to the fact that, you know, gamers have kind of coined this term of like the Ubisoft sandbox style game, where every, every Ubisoft game is kind of like, you know, a Far Cry, where you unlock parts of the map by taking over towers and outposts and and growing your character and all the things you kind of do in a Far Cry game and how that's kind of spread over to every major Ubisoft game and we see that kind of be their uh, their kind of flavor and their kind of thing they do to all their franchises. Now, I don't inherently have a problem with this, but it does really it does kind of disappoint me as someone who likes you know, variety. Um, however, I think this is, you know, whether you call bullshit on this or not, I think this is Gilmont saying, you know, kind of, kind of an interesting take on this, which is that like, yeah, you look at a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is obviously nothing like Assassin's Creed 2 or, or 4 Black Flag, right? But it's like, he's, he's saying, if you want to have that 12 hour straightforward kind of adventure, go ahead and do that. Cause there are parts of this game that are like that. There are side quest stories that span hours and hours and if you want to go and have those kinds of experiences go ahead buy this game and do that but if you want it to open up further and become a more open world more open-ended kind of experience with a larger scaling adventure and with way more to do then it can also be that which is kind of like saying it's kind of a half-assed answer in a sense right but it's also kind of an interesting take because he's kind of saying like Here's a 100-hour open-world game. Go make of it what you will. If you want to jump in there for a few hours and do this, do that, you know, go for it. Or you can look at it in the traditional sense, which is I want to play this game from start to finish, which is more of like a 60-hour feat. So it's really more about looking at the game in a versatile manner and seeing, you know, what you like about it and what you want to get out of it and kind of doing that rather than feeling this pressure to play the game from opening scene to closing credits, right? You know, I respect that from a from a 
from a perspective of games should just be about fun. People should be able to jump into a game and not feel the commitment and the pressure to play the game till the very end. They should just play it as long as they're having fun. So I, you know, part of me idealistically really likes this idea of popping into like the next Far Cry game and being like, you know what? I'm not really, for example, I wasn't that crazy about Far Cry five, despite being a huge fan of Far Cry's three and four. Um, so I kind of like the idea of jumping into Far Cry five and being like, you know what? I'm not feeling the story as much as I thought I was, but you know, I really like the setting of this game. So I'm going to dick around for a few hours. I'm going to rank up my character. I'm going to follow this skill or sorry, this quest line. And I'm going to fill in the map and do the things I like. And then when I get tired of the game, I'll put it down and I won't feel the pressure to go finish the main campaign because that's not really speaking to me. I like that, but it, it requires a very like <laughs> a very um, kind of disciplined gamer to kind of suggest to them that like you're going to spend $60 on this game that has all this content, but you're just going to extract and enjoy the content that you see amusing and entertaining to your specific skill set. It's just a very interesting kind of perspective that you don't really see work in other mediums. Like, for example, you don't see someone say, uh, here's a three hour movie I made. If you think that three hours is too long for a movie, uh, feel free to just watch the scenes that intrigue you and that you find inspirational or amusing and uh, just skip over the parts that don't really speak to you because no, that, that movie's going to make no sense to you. You got to watch the whole movie start to finish, right? But, you know, games are that versatile medium where if that's something you want to do, that's something you can do. You can buy a game like a Red Dead Redemption 2 and say, there's no way I'm dedicating 60 to 80 hours to play this game This game from start to finish. But I do like to run around to towns and wrestle up horses and, and go pokering in the poker bar and, and go shooting people in the streets. And so maybe you find $60 worth of enjoyment doing that kind of shit. And that's, that's the idea is you just... You make of the game what you want it to be rather than this kind of traditional mindset of you buy a game, you play it start to finish, and then you can put it away. So um, a little bit of a long-winded one, but I really I really appreciate that article just for the kind of perspective. Again, whether you agree with it or not, whether you call bullshit on it or not, whether you see it as like a PR spin to justify their insistence on making every game these 60-hour open-world games. Um, but nonetheless, you know, a respectable, differing kind of perspective. All right, time for our weekly GameStop is going out of business story. So again, directly from IGN, GameStop's tough year continues as the company has announced plans to close between 180 and 200, quote, underperforming stores by the end of the fiscal year. In a recent earnings call, GameStop CFO Jim Bell reported further losses for the struggling video game retailer. Sales were down 14.3% year-over-year for the company, posting a net loss of $415 million in quarter two earnings report. As part of GameStop's turnaround plan, the company will close up to 200 stores globally. Bell noted that 95% of the company's 5,700 stores worldwide are profitable, and that underperformance is not the sole metric that the company is looking for when determining store closures. First of all, that's a big thing to highlight there is the whole underperformance is not the sole metric that the company is looking for when determining store closures. So if you'll recall back to a month or two ago when GameStop announced that they were going to try to do more like these niche kind of um, boutique stores where maybe it's like a, like a game bar or something or a place where people come to do their esports thing or whatever the hell it is. I think that part of the story really ties into that news we heard earlier, which is that maybe GameStop looks at a store and says, well, you know, the store isn't really performing to our standards, but rather than closing it, maybe this is a story based on, you know, the market it's in that we can transform into one of these kind of boutique stores. For example, I really think GameStop should make some like retro stores that just sell, you know, like old school stuff like old NES games and shit like that uh, because I think 
there's a market for that. And, and it's kind of in this kind of nostalgia-driven world we live in today, I think you can find a market of people for people who want to come into a kind of brick-and-mortar store and, and peruse through Sega Genesis and Atari 2600 games and kind of find, you know, some cool, quote, retro games to uh, kind of buff out their collection or to go back and feel nostalgic about. But in addition to that, you know, this is just spells more trouble for GameStop, despite them trying to say that, um, trying to say that, you know, this isn't all bad news, despite what it may sound like. Closing 200 stores is nothing is nothing to sneeze at, you know. I know they have 5,700 stores, but... 200 stores is a big chunk of change. Um, so this is this is a lot. If you live in the U.S., this is probably like, you know, a store, likely a store you've been to at some point is, is, is probably closing because of this. So I just, you know, GameStop's in serious trouble. I A part of me, you know, at this point, just despite my deep-rooted hatred of GameStop from my childhood, uh, I feel bad for the company. I feel bad for most importantly, you know, the people that represent the company who are having their jobs affected as a result of these of these kinds of changes and this restructuring and this ultimate dem- what appears like to be the demise of this uh, of this big uh, retail chain. So more bad news for GameStop. Uh, but of course, um, something to note, I think that they're looking at some of these locations as potential switch ups for these kind of boutique stores they're looking to invest in. And I am pretty interested to hear kind of when we're going to start getting those stores and what they look like exactly because the information we got a month ago or whenever it was was kind of vague and uh i think depending on how they pull it off this could be a really interesting kind of lateral move for them so i am interested to see what that what that looks like Um, but let's wrap up this week's news with our final story which is that it appears that everyone is getting their own cloud streaming gaming solution these days next up on the roster is of course ea and the post on medium EA's chief technology officer, Ken Moss, wrote the following, and this is a big one, so, quote, cloud gaming, it seems like these days, it's on everyone's mind, with new possibilities, paths, and players emerging from all corners of the industry. For EA, our continued focus will be on making sure our games will be ready for cloud-powered future where our players can engage and enjoy anytime, anywhere, and on any device. To that end, I'm excited to share that we'll be taking an important step in this learning journey as we host an exclusive external trial for our players to experience game streaming throughout EA's cloud technology. Our goal with this exclusive trial is to gather more inputs at scale and test the performance of quality service in a variety of network conditions and on multiple servers routing scenarios. EA is working on leveraging Amazon Web Services and the public cloud so that we can deploy as as close to the player as possible, even in the face of unstable networks and changes in bandwidth. You can sign up now for the chance to partake in the upcoming EA Cloud Gaming Technical Trial. You'll be able to play games such as FIFA 19, Titanfall 2, Need for Speed Rivals, and Unravel during the test. First of all, that host of games is a is a pretty good variety. You know, you got a sports game, a twitchy FPS, a nice racing game, and a single player kind of platforming game, which kind of tests the spectrum of gaming scenarios um, that would have us concerned. You know about about the capabilities of cloud gaming. So I think that's really smart of EA to have that kind of variety of games. Uh, but you know, he, here's the thing: the long and the short of it, with everyone jumping into cloud gaming, you know, between Google and Microsoft and potentially Sony, or I mean, definitely Sony, what am I saying? EA, just et cetera, et cetera. Someone has to lose. At the end of this, there's only going to be one to two winners. So someone has to lose. And at this point, it's like, think about it. Can you really picture a future in which, you know, game streaming via cloud services is really, you know, taken off and really found its own 
and at the helm of it is EA. So it, it just it perplexes me in the sense that like I can't imagine EA really seeing themselves as coming out on top with this. So I don't see why they would even really try. That being said, you know, this isn't the first time EA's really gone out of their way to try and be an innovator with some kind of product or service. We saw this a lot in the early days of EA's origin service. Uh, I mean, if you'll remember back in the, before the Nintendo Wii U came out around 2011, um, EA was in talks with Nintendo to use their their platform and their EA Origin kind of infrastructure to help Nintendo co-develop a uh, online platform for Nintendo, which, you know, Nintendo eventually backed out of. But the only reason I bring that up is to say this isn't the first time EA has been like, hey, let's try to be at the forefront of this this kind of uh, technology and this new front in gaming um, and see if we can be one of the leaders in it. I think uh, EA Access, you know, the subscription game service, was there before Xbox Game Pass was. And again, it's just EA is historically, actually, if you got to give them credit for this, it's um, they're one of the first ones to the table when it comes to emerging technologies and services in the gaming universe. Um, but it just seems like they never really come out. They have varying degrees of success. They never really fall flat on their faces and totally fail, but they never really end up the one on top. And with game, with cloud gaming and, and streaming technology being so incredibly expensive to invest in and to establish, I can't imagine that this is going to become, you know, a worthy investment for EA. And again, this might sound like, uh, oh, well, you're just an Xbox fanboy. This is an Xbox podcast. But, but let's think about this seriously. If you have Google and Microsoft. Don't even think about video games. You have Google and Microsoft investing in cloud gaming technology. There's really no reason for anyone else to even try and fuck with them. Now, the quote does mention that EA is working with some Amazon web services. So it seems like, you know, they're not building this from the ground up. They, you know, Amazon is another tech giant to you know, force to be reckoned with. So maybe they have a point there, but like, why the hell are you going to fuck with Microsoft or or Google, right? They are the biggest tech giants. The only the only other companies that can really get in, in bed with this kind of thing or that can really try to compete would be Apple or Amazon. So, again, maybe EA ha is at something by working with Amazon Web Services, but th this quote doesn't really give enough information to explain to what extent that really means um, and to what extent this is more just like EA's own in-house technology and kind of their own investments into making this kind of thing a reality. You know... Azure and Microsoft's, you know, kind of investment in cloud um, gaming and cloud rendering and all these things I don't understand because I'm not a fucking nerd um, really are, again, the, the, the Xbox bias, the Microsoft bias, but they really are the most advanced and the most, you know, forward thinking kind of fully realized close to market kind of cloud solutions we have for these streaming games and things like that. And so it just seems like, you know, if you can find a place at this table, that's great. There's money to be made. This is the future, right? Azure is the future. Cloud streaming is the future. But God damn, is it expensive and is it risky to be jumping into this? A company like Microsoft can afford to do it. Again, they are the software giants. They are probably the ones that wrote the book on this kind of shit. Um, so it, it makes sense for Microsoft to jump in there. EA, on the other hand, I don't know. I don't, I don't see this panning out. Like I said at the beginning... There's only one or two of these guys who's going to be standing tall at the end of the day. I don't, do you really think it's going to be EA? I don't know. I, again, I don't know shit, but that's just my hunch. That's just my own intuition based off what we're seeing here and what I know and what I think and feel. So 
Make of that what you will. I say I'm a fucking genius, and I'm right. And with that, that wraps up this week's news. So we're just going to run through this week's game releases, as well as Xbox Game Pass stuff, and uh, call it a day. So this week, we've got 12 new games coming to Xbox. And again, just like last week, there's only one of these games you probably give a shit about. But because I am a believer that all games deserve a fair shake, I'm going to read off all 12 to you in the kind of biased bullshit, reading off a screenshot kind of manner that I always do. So our first game this week is called Path of Exile Blight. That's a dumb name. And this game kind of looks like a like um, Diablo meets Gears of War, uh, top-down um, kind of uh, potentially strategic game. And the thing about strategy is, if you're going to release a strategy game, don't be so fucking stupid as to release it the same week as Gears of War. And so that game's going to fail, inevitably. Our next game is called Grid. <clears throat> this releases on October 10th. It's a racing game, and there have been other Grid games before it. So I don't like the idea of them trying to come back and, oh, I see what happened here. I didn't even catch myself saying that. You see this, guys? Grid, they changed the release date of Grid to October 10th. So this game doesn't come out for another month. Yet these fuckers have the audacity to show their faces in September's release time. Can you fucking believe that? Imagine if you're a game developer and your game's coming out September 10th and you're so goddamn excited about it. And then Grid has the fucking audacity to show up a month early and take your spotlight. Fuck Grid. If you hey, if you hate fascism, don't play Grid. Okay, our next game is called eFootball Pest 2020. This is some kind of European bullshit, uh, but it is Xbox One X enhanced, so maybe you can use those Xbox One X enhanced features to kind of wash out and blur away all that trashy European shit you're going to find in there. See, Europe's a great a great place, and here's why. The great people of the United States of America um, mostly tie their origins back to Europe. You know, we're historically of European descent, for the most part, in, in, in the U.S. Um, and so what, what does that mean well, we're also historically kind of evolved from cavemen. So I'm not saying Europeans are cavemen. I'm not saying soccer is a sport for pre-developed cavemen-like creatures. But there's a reason why we left Europe. There's a reason why we've evolved from soccer into baseball. There's a reason why we've evolved from Europe into the United States of America. Take from that what you will. I'm not insulting anyone. I'm not saying anything. But, you know, the facts are there. I think, I think you know, the facts, the evidence speaks for itself. But our next game is called NHL 20 Ultimate Edition. Now, this is a game about hockey, but not just any hockey, because I got to explain something to you. Normally, when you play a hockey game, there's more of like a zoomed out kind of perspective, so you can see the whole team and kind of switch between players. This screenshot shows uh, one hockey boy zoomed in from the lower backside, so you're seeing his ass. And in the in the side, you see another hockey boy slapping his stick towards the, the, the guy whose ass is in, in the shot. And what this leads me to believe is that this is no ordinary hockey game. I don't think you're going to be hitting pucks and, and getting goalies in this game. I think in this game, you're going after the other team and you're giving them a good old spanking with your, with your hockey stick. So if you like physical abuse, if you believe in corporal punishment, if you, if you think hockey is slightly arousing, then I'm going to have to highly recommend NHL 20 Ultimate Edition. And I, I, it's important to stress the Ultimate Edition because not only is it Xbox One X Enhanced, but I think the Ultimate Edition is a little more, uh, you know, seductive and uh, mature themed than the Standard Edition. So if you're into the spanking of the hockey sticks, then I'm going to recommend the Ultimate Edition. Our next game is called Greedfall. comes out September 10th, Xbox One X Enhanced. And we see a cowboy samurai shooting at whatever the fuck that creature is. And um, 
I'm actually not going to lie. It looks cool. This looks like the perfect game to play if you don't have a PlayStation 4 and you're too impatient to wait for Sekiro. Heroes died twice. Nope. It's called... Uh, that game that Sucker Punch is working on and it's it's slipping, it's slipping. I can't remember it. But if you like gritty, dark, samurai cowboys, this game actually looks pretty damn cool. I'm going to give it a big thumbs up. 7 out of 10 and go play it. NASCAR Heat 4 comes out this week on September 10th. It is not Xbox One X Enhanced, which is a huge disappointment. But I got to be honest, a lot of sports games this week. I know this is the time of year where sports games come out, but we got we got soccer ball, we got hockey ball, we got NASCAR ball. So a lot of ball games coming out this week. And I got to be honest with you guys, I, I haven't told my girlfriend about this yet because I think she won't approve. But I've been thinking more and more about NASCAR recently. This could have something to do with my love for the Pixar Cars franchise. No joke, but I, I kind of want to go to a NASCAR race and experience it for myself to see if if maybe this is for me. I'm ashamed to admit it, but um, yeah, if you want me to go to a NASCAR game, I'm a NASCAR race. I'm gonna recommend you buy that game to show your support for my my curiosity in the racing genres. Okay, our next game is called Gears Five. Who gives a shit about that? Don't know anything about it. And then after that, we got Distraint, which comes out September 11th, which is kind of a um this game is like in widescreen and there's a guy who looks weird and pixely and he's got an umbrella and it's really light and grainy and it looks very hip and uh, indie and other shit here's the thing you guys know me i'm a big business guy don't go to your local hardware store don't go to your local grocery store go to walmart be a fucking man you know be a big boy go support big business don't play games like distraint play games like gears 5 Microsoft needs your money, not whoever this, you know, whatever fucking little guy needs. You know, I just support big business. It'll be better for us all in the end anyway. Our next game is called Super Dodgeball Beats. Now, normally I would say this is a little... No, actually, this game just looks really cool. It looks like some weird combination of, like, a rhythm game and a dodgeball game. And it's 2D and it looks kind of wacky and fun. And um, I'm, I'm going to have to recommend it. There's a lot of... My only criticism is that there's a lot of anime hair... But the coach looks pretty funny. He's got like his slick back hair. He's got a big belly. And I, I'm really into big bellies because it makes me less less insecure about my obsession with pasta and my chubby tummy. So I'm going to recommend Super Dodgeball Beats. It's probably the best sports game coming out this week. Next, we've got Kalina Legacy. This looks like a release of a PlayStation 1 game or something, which might actually be the case. But I appreciate the horrible graphics and the, and the willingness uh, to look to make this game look so bad. So that's coming out September 13th if you feel the need to play that. And then rounding out with our last two game releases of the week, you're, you're not going to believe it, guys, but we've got um, we've got Ellen the game. I don't think it's related to Ellen DeGeneres, but just to be safe, you should absolutely play it. Um, and then we've got Light Fairy Tale Episode 1, which is so goddamn Japanese. It's that chibi art style, but when they're in the text chats and stuff, you see all the anime hair. Don't play that. Don't support don't support that pornography. No one needs that Japanese RPG bullshit in their life. Just don't play it. Um, but that's out September 13th, so I highly recommend you take a look at it. Um, and that's going to wrap it up for this this game's um, this month's game release. This week's I'm sorry, I can't fucking talk. This this week's game release. And just as a reminder for your Game Pass games this month, we've got uh, Hitman: The Complete First Season, which is available through the entire month of September on Xbox One. We got We Were Here, which is available until or from September 16th to October 15th on Xbox One. We've got Earth Defense Force 2025 on the Xbox 360 side which is available for the first half of September. And then on the latter half of September, we've got 
Tekken Tag Tournament, another Xbox 360 game. Of course, all those games are backwards compatible. Uh, so definitely download those games, even if you don't plan on playing them. Just initiate the download. Have it in your backlog. That way you can have a growing backlog and have more first world problems. And that is going to do it for this week. If you want to know what I've been playing, guess fucking what? I've been playing Gears 5. What else What are you playing? It's awesome. I want to have a discussion about it next week after I've beaten it, after the game's been out a little longer, more people have had the chance to play it. I'll, I'll carve out a little segment towards the end of the podcast next week, and we can kind of discuss my thoughts and opinions on the game. Of course, if you were going to leave comments and tell me your thoughts, questions, opinions on Gears 5, I would love to have them. I would love to incorporate them into the show, but I know you're not going to do that because you don't love me that way. So I'm just going to tell you what I think of the game and you're going to listen because apparently that's the format we've um, kind of somehow agreed on. So look forward to that next week or don't. I don't care. It's your decision, not mine. Um, but Gears 5 is fucking fantastic. Like I said at the top, if you are not playing that, I highly recommend it. It's uh it is the the most the the biggest deviation from the gears formula we've ever seen yet and i mean that in the most complimentary ways possible i think the coalition has really outdone themselves <clears throat> i think this is a, not just because it's kind of the only xbox exclusive we've had in a while but it really is the most special xbox exclusive we've had in a while probably my favorite xbox exclusive we've had since halo 5 but then again um nah, i might I might take that back i really like quantum break i don't know it's just an awesome game. If you don't have Game Pass, what's wrong with you? If you have Game Pass and you're not playing this game, get off my show. Stop listening. Um, and to all of you listening out there, I just want to say, of course, you're always welcome to follow me on Twitter at Wendy's uh, Hamburgers or at Pop-Tarts. And uh, until then, keep on, keep on gaming, gamers. Gamers. <laughs>